0: Hey, everybody, we are here to tell you about a cool new feature on the website that we would love for you to check out.
1: Head to to HowToSplitAToaster.com and check out the bottom of the page. You'll find a box floating there that says, quote, Ask Seth and Pete, close quote.
0: This box is magical. You just type a question in there and the robots behind the scenes will search the actual audio of our entire library of past episodes and not only give you a short answer to your question, but point you to the specific episodes where we discussed your topic so you can listen yourself.
1: At this point, we're just testing it to know if this feature should be a permanent feature on the website. We need your help for that. We need you to ask a lot of questions.
0: So head to howtosplitatoaster.com and click the box, Ask Seth and Pete. The robots will do the rest.
1: On with the show.
0: Welcome to How to Split a Toaster, a divorce podcast about saving your relationships from True Story FM. Can you make your toaster
1: laugh? Welcome to the show, everybody. I'm Seth Nelson. As always, I'm here with my good friend, Pete Wright. Today, we're talking all about learning to stare at something hard, something you think is going to be impossible to overcome, and laugh. There is very little about divorce, especially when you're going through it that's funny but experts agree the benefit of finding humor in our challenges can have a profound emotional and physiological effect in our bodies to help us find a way through the trauma and uncover the funny. We have an expert on stage. Kayla doll is a comedian, podcaster and filmmaker, and her mission is to create projects that have a social impact. Kayla hosts crying behind sunglasses, a mental health podcast for cool people where she interviews comedians and experts about their issues and, and they find a way to laugh. Kayla, welcome to The Toaster.
2: Hello. Thank you for having me.
0: Kayla, hi. Uh, It's Pete from the podcast. And I'm so glad you're here because we're we're talking about finding humor in very difficult things. And what better expert to come on the show and talk about these things than a stand-up comic who also has their own podcast about mental health, and I have to hear how you ended up doing that before we start. Well, I've been listening to your podcast, let me say. I've been listening to your podcast, and I just finished the episode where you uncovered, I mean, some hot journalism. The guy whose wife was having an affair and found out because he woke up because the guy was in bed with them at the same time when he woke up in the morning. That's crazy. And... <laughs> we need to just talk about why it became your province to start a podcast about all this stuff.
2: Absolutely. Well, um, Pete, it's so nice to to have you and thank you for listening. Uh, the podcast, for those of you who are new to uh, you don't know me yet. It's called Crying Behind Sunglasses. Uh, so I interview a lot of comedians and experts about their issues. We find a way to laugh about them. And yes, of course, because this is a divorce podcast you found. Oh, yeah. The episode called Hashtag Divorce with yeah. um, another comedian called his name is Jake Brestlauer. Uh And yeah, I wasn't ready for that whole story. I didn't know. Like I've been his buddy and I knew that he had been divorced. So I figured we'd dive into it. And I never know what kind of journey my guests are going to take me on. And uh, on that day, yeah, he found his then wife at the time in bed with his friend,
0: while he was also in bed with the ex-wife and his friend. They were all yes. three.
2: It's it's a good listen. You know, yeah, it's
1: not like he <laughs> walked in like you see in the movies. No,
2: no, no. Right. I right. Can, I
0: mean. I just, I just want to talk about that experience. He's not here, so I just want to just talk trash talk his ex wife. I'm not gonna. Uh, that's not a, a good way to start this show. How? So let's talk then about what it, what is it that made you decide? Look, I think I can, I, I think I can host a show mm-hmm. that is that deals with mental health in a way that that's not going to be insensitive. At the same time that we're finding humor in the things that we share.
2: I grew up with a brother who has autism. Uh, not the big bang theory kind, but the real kind. So I've always been an advocate for people who have disabilities. And then in my own journey, I figured out like, I'd say probably towards the end of college and when I was coming into young adulthood that I had my own issues with panic attacks and anxiety that I needed to deal with and go to therapy. And I felt, such a disconnect between who I was being on the outside, this performer who's making everyone laugh, and then secretly dealing with all these issues. I didn't want to keep it a secret anymore. So I thought, let's talk about it. And that's how I started crying behind sunglasses in 2020, which is like three years ago. And it's just been a great community and I've learned so much from everybody I've talked to. And also it's really nice to just destigmatize these topics, whether it's depression, anxiety, divorce, different life events um, and losses that people go through, because this is part of the human experience. You know, like if everything was just sunshine and roses all the time, then life wouldn't be interesting. I think just helping people feel less alone is something I've always been really passionate about. And so just being able to put these two things together of laughter as well as helping people is something that has made me feel really good.
1: I will tell you very honestly, because I like to be open, honest and vulnerable and have conversations like that, because I think then people are being true and authentic and that's the better experience. I'm nervous about having you on the show because... I know that in my house I am the least funny person, but we have a comedian on the show. Like I'm just worried all the jokes are going to fall flat, Pete. And that's why I'm just a little nervous here today.
0: I don't think you need to worry about it because you made funny children, and so you're uh, you are okay. Your sins of lack of humor personally are all absolved because you have funny offspring. That's how it works. There's a genetic law of comedy.
1: So, my father says to my son when he was little and was getting all these amazing grades, he goes, You know what they say? Like like in his sweet little voice, he goes, What, Grandpa? And my father says, Genius. It skips a generation. (laughs) So,
2: (laughs) that's the same thing with humor. Same
1: thing with humor, is what you're saying? Okay, I'm good now.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's accurate. Um, My mother's a financial planner, I love her to death. But,
1: case example.
2: not a very creative person, uh, and it does. Yeah, it skips a generation.
1: Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, Pete, Kayla, enjoy the show. Yeah. <laughs> just <end> <laughs> no,
2: Seth, listen, you have to be here to tell us facts yeah, and to right. like keep things structured. Otherwise, we're just going to go off a cliff.
0: Right. So you just let us know when that starts, Seth. We'll be here too. Um, <laughs> look, I. So you're not you're not divorced yourself.
2: No, but I'm a divorce adjacent, is what I like to say. I know this this whole. You
0: first of all, you've got to tell the story uh, of why you are a divorce adjacent. You're also a child of divorce.
2: Yes, I mean everyone is at this point, right?
0: Right, right. Statistically, like, yeah, <laughs> just sneeze into the wind, you'll find somebody who gets hit by your divorce story. So let's let's talk about your like because I'm what I'm curious about in in terms of your personal divorce story is how you like how those two things are if at all related for you that you're a child of divorce and your divorce adjacent story so tell me about it
2: so I grew up in well let's see let's go back to the beginning uh so I was born in San Diego your mom meets your
0: dad Right. Yes.
2: When a man and a love <laughs> woman love each other very, very much very much. <laughs> no. Uh so I was born in San Diego. It was uh me and my brother who's a year and a half older than me, and my mom and my biological dad. They split when I was like a baby, baby, baby. So I have not seen him since I was three years old. He passed away when I was eighteen from alcoholism, so that's a whole other fun story. Yeah, he didn't wanna see like After they separated because of my brother's disability, he didn't accept my brother and he didn't want to see my brother. Um, He only wanted to see me. And my mom said, They're a package deal. You have to see both children or neither of them. And he said, All right, bye. And that was that. And I have to say, I really admire my mom for what she did of getting us out of the situation with him. He was an alcoholic and verbally abusive. And of course, they had. He had other good qualities, but the, the bad outweighed the good there. And um, he was just not a good fit for our family, especially with um, what my mom was up against with my brother. I mean, he didn't talk until he was four. She had to get him into like good therapies and good schools and be really proactive about that. And if someone's not going to be on board about that, like he wanted to send my brother to an institution. Oh, uh,
0: that's some like really old school, feudal sort of trauma uh, yeah. right there. That's not good.
2: And I'm, maybe you guys know this, but there's there are some pretty high statistics for families who have children with autism as far as divorce goes. I mean, it really can tear a family apart because it puts a big strain on the marriage. So that was that. And um, my mom got remarried and I was lucky to have a father figure in my life and they're still together. But then I guess fast forward to, you were asking about my own um divorce adjacent story. So, during the pandemic, like many other people, I just went into a very ill-advised whirlwind romance.
0: During the pandemic. That's actually during. not Yeah, that's interesting. Okay.
2: Yeah, it was a it was a childhood best friend who I had known for 20 years and so I thought like I can trust this person and it moved a lot quicker than I would Normally, and well, nothing uh,
1: else going on. Mm-hmm, clearly, nothing was going
2: on. Right. The world is burning and we're inside burning for each other. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so hot.
1: <laughs> so hot right now. Because, Pete, as you know, when two people love each other <laughs> really very much. much.
2: <laughs> uh, so, yeah. And then that situation, I would say, weirdly did mirror a lot of the stuff in my family where, I thought I could trust this person and then it turned really toxic. And it was weird because everything was totally fine until you put a ring on my finger. And then suddenly the families get involved.
0: Does it start to burn your skin? Because I've heard (laughs) that sometimes happens when it's not meant to be.
2: (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. I do remember like when he proposed, he didn't even make a speech. And I feel like like he had a sign that just said like, will you marry me? And he was like down on a knee.
1: Did he spell it correctly, at least?
2: <laughs> he did. But okay. he just, like, I remember he was on a knee, and I walk out to the backyard, and I look at him, and I was like, you know, and I was what, waiting what for happened him.
1: What happens next? I was waiting what? for him
2: to say something. He didn't say anything, and he just, I was like, are you going to say something? And he just pointed at the sign.
1: <laughs> and did you feel at that time, like, woefully unprepared because you didn't have a sign that said yes or no?
2: <laughs> like <laughs> You know, you're right. I should have had a sign. But anyway, yeah, it just... He had a lot of unresolved childhood trauma, as many people do. And I think that it's not a good recipe for success if there's one person who's done a lot of therapy and a lot of work and another person who hasn't. It really just didn't work out. So I had to call off a wedding, which is so fucking dramatic. It's just because we had already sent out the saves the dates. We had the venue. I had the dress, like the whole thing. But it was just very clear to me that I was like, I was trying, I was trying really hard, you know, I was trying everything to save the relationship as far as like, cook him a nice dinner, let's go on a nice trip, let me put on some romantic music and try to have this sort of night or talk to him about his feelings, but it just wasn't happening.
1: Guys love that. They love it when women talk about their feelings. Seriously.
0: Or try to get them to talk about their feelings. Yeah.
2: Well, just like say, like, like, I'm here for you, because he was glowing through it. Yeah. And uh just wasn't working out. So I had to call it and it was very dramatic. And you
1: know the best thing about calling off a wedding?
2: Mm.
1: No attorney's fees.
2: That was what I said. I said, it's cheaper to call off a wedding than it is to get a divorce.
1: That's right, 100%. Well,
0: we've, we've, done, a lot of, we've done a lot of good yeah. work
1: here today, people.
0: I gotta go back to something you said, though, which I think is really important. And it's something that you've talked about in uh, n- not one episode of your podcast, which is the idea of being your, <laughs> I think in the, in the hashtag divorce one, you said you don't wanna be your spouse's or your partner's sexy counselor.
2: Sexy therapist, yeah.
0: Sexy therapist. Yeah. So what is the sexy therapist and why is that a terrible idea on the road to divorce?
2: Well, for me specifically, I don't know if this is a universal problem that all women deal with.
0: Well, that's why I bring it up because I think it should be. We, I want to coin. I want to make sure that you get credit for coining the term and making it because I think it's universal. Okay. I don't know. Seth, Seth can be the ruler.
1: Well, let's that. hear what it is and then I'll give you my two cents.
2: So I've been hosting this mental health podcast for a few years. And as I've done that, then I attract a lot of broken birds that are like, oh, you know about mental health. I'm depressed and you're hot. Let's go out. Let's go out. (laughs) Let me tell you all my problems and that sort of thing. Or like, hey, I just started going to therapy and I want to tell you all about it.
1: Because nothing is more than a turn on. Thing yeah, going out can I a hear about your guy talk about all his problems?
2: Yeah,
0: I can't wait to hear about that. Mm.
2: Yeah, <laughs> such a turn on. Yeah, and so then I think that that's the problem. Is like in our society, the patriarchy really doesn't serve anyone. So like, men are socialized to not talk about their feelings, which then leads them to not understand their own emotions because they don't have anyone to talk about it with. And then as they get older and if they are going into a heterosexual relationship, they're then using women as their therapists or their moms or that sort of thing. And I feel like it's a lot of emotional labor that I would rather not do you
0: know yeah well which i think gets to something that that I, to me i don't know Seth. i mean tell me what you're what you think about this but to me it feels like if the if the relationship is falling apart because of emotional incompatibility this definitely feels like something to sniff out that it's it's possible that we've we've transitioned to sexy therapist mode
1: yeah oh 100% let me tell you i'm going to just say some phrases that clients in the past have told me about their male spouses and i think it falls into this category a little bit like overgrown fat boy mm-hmm. right like he never grew up since college and i've done all this work on myself we've grown we have children like we're not in our 20s anymore right others are like all he talks about is the sports course never once asked he'll ask how was my day but he doesn't ever listen to the answer. Right. right. And then when they start splitting up and they finally clue in like oh my god she's really going to leave and now I have to go to therapy and that's what I have to do to save my marriage. Then the guys that get it that's all they want to talk about. They like they yeah. go 180 like you know whoosh, let's do it. Let's go go talk about it all the time all the time and she's like no like just figure some of this shit out on your own. Quit asking me. Right. right. So that's kind of the dichotomy of it all.
0: It's Yeah. It's that dichotomy. It's the duality of this, of the role that you serve for each other. And that, that therapy is a thing for you partner, right? It's a thing for you to learn about yourself, not for you to, I don't need a report every day before sexy time, right? That's the sexy therapist duality. Like we're not going to talk about, all the things you feel like you need to unload to prove somehow that you are awake in the relationship.
2: Yeah, it's too little too late also. Yeah. Like like you're saying someone going to therapy to save the relationship, it's like if it's at that point, it's probably too late.
1: Yeah. Right. Day late and a dollar short. Yeah. 100% on that.
0: All right. We'll be right back after this message from our sponsor. Seth, according to the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism, about 10% of children live with a parent with an alcohol use disorder. It's just tragic.
1: Pete, we hear this statistic all the time. At the end of the day, the courts don't care about the statistic. The courts care about keeping kids safe. And when I mean safe, I mean safe from a party who truly suffers from an alcohol disorder. Or is being wrongly accused of having alcoholism or some other alcohol disorder. It's easy and it saves you money. Instead of he said, she said... There's Soberlink.
0: Soberlink is fantastic, and they are a fantastic partner to this show. So, what is Soberlink? Soberlink is a device. It's like a breathalyzer, but it is more. You blow into Soberlink whenever you want to prove in real time that you are safe to be with your kids at carpool, at drop off, at handoff, whenever you're going to be driving. You blow into Soberlink. It uses facial recognition to prove that you are the one blowing at the time that you are taking the reading. It sends it off to the people. People who need to know, people involved directly in your case, not to be used for publication, not to be used for social media. This just goes to the people who matter most for your case as you are collecting data. Soberlink Remote Alcohol Monitoring has helped over 500,000 people prove their sobriety and provide peace of mind during parenting time. And Seth, a word on the street is courts love it.
1: Yeah, and it's not just when you're getting in a car. Let's be clear. People can say, never gotten a DUI what's the issue? Well, the issue is once you're home at five o'clock and you're no longer driving, but you're going to start cooking and having a glass of wine and that glass of wine turns into two bottles, that's now an issue. So it's not just getting in the car. It's when you, the children are in your care, custody and control, are you focused on them and not using alcohol? Independent third-party real-time verification to support your case. I haven't been drinking here's the proof.
0: Those are the words that lawyers and courts love, but here are the words you're going to love. You can save 50 bucks off your device and get started right away at soberlink.com slash toaster. That's soberlink.com slash toaster. Thank you to Soberlink for sponsoring this show. Okay, let's talk about laughing at hard things, uh, because it seems like every episode is about hard things. And I'm curious what you've learned about helping people to laugh about hard things in the course of doing the podcast.
2: Well, I would say that I've learned a lot because the people who have gone through the darkest things a lot of times are the ones who have the most positive attitude. You know, there was a woman that I interviewed on my show who had lost two different sons to suicide. I remember going into that interview thinking like, I'm a little nervous. How is this going to be? How can I find the light in this? And I find that the people who have gone through those really hard things, they're the ones that like, now they're fighting even harder to have that positivity. Is that, if that makes sense. Like she turned that whole thing around and now she has a program where she goes out to schools and talks about suicide prevention. Um, and yeah. none of that ever would have happened if right. these tragedies had not befallen her family mm-hmm. so that's something that I've learned and I think just also that part of the human experience is that we go through these struggles and we're we're all here to have different lessons, whether that's someone who has an eating disorder and then lear- has to learn how to love her body or I've had guests on that are trans that are trying to figure out their identity and then seeing how that fits into the world we all have different struggles but that's what makes us human you know and i think the problem is part of
1: being able to laugh about it yeah right it's such a release when you laugh
2: yes because then it no longer has power over you Mm -hmm. i think is the big deal um and for me especially like being able to go on stage or on my show and talk about like how silly it is when I'm having a panic attack and I have to lay down on the floor or all these different neurotic things that we all do. It's a good release because it connects me with other people, you know?
1: Oh, I I get it 100% because I make jokes with my clients all the time because they're just so fucking stressed out.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And depending on the judge, I will crack jokes in court. Mm -hmm. Now, that is a delicate balance.
2: Yeah, that's risky.
1: There's some judges I will never even try it, and other judges... Like, I've just hit it out of the park to the point where the judge is cracking up so hard, he looks at the court reporter and says, off the record. Like, he can't contain himself because of the joke that I just made. Are there any judges
0: that see you coming and ask for a tight five? Because that's when you know you've arrived, (laughs) That's right. right? (laughs) I can't wait. I can't
1: wait. (laughs) Mr. Nelson, before we get started. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But 99% of the jokes that I make in court are all self-deprecating humor i'm making self fun of myself
2: oh you have to
1: and that usually will play (laughs) yeah
2: yeah i mean I, i talked about how like my family is a charcuterie board of various mental illnesses and that always gets a laugh because it's like people can relate to that or um Also, just just calling out, I mean, this is just like, if you're really trying to develop your type five, Seth. Okay, uh, appreciate this. (laughs) uh, You're you're already on the right path, because usually, if you want to develop an opener, it should be something that's about yourself. That's like, oh, I know what you're thinking. I look like this, or I sound like this uh for me it's like i'm a recovering emo kid with a theater degree you know <laughs> and that's, that's that awesome. explains a lot so i don't know what that would be for you i don't know you well enough yet but i think you're on your way
1: okay we're on it, we're <laughs> on it. my wife is very funny and my son is like ridiculously funny so we'll see
2: well see you're the straight man so you're like the foil for mm-hmm. that. and that serves a purpose as well
1: Yes, that's pretty much describes my life right there. (laughs) But no, to this point, though, about about humor and going through dark times. And Pete, I think we were just talking on this about a show like last week or the week before. One of the things I say to clients all the time, they're like, oh, my God, this couldn't be worse. Like this process is so terrible. They're going on and on. And one of the things I always say, I'm like, "Mm, no, it can be worse. They're like, what's one good thing? I said you never have to sleep with the guy again. And, <laughs> and they're like, okay, you're right. <laughs> so, But it's just this unbelievable emotional release. And you can see it in their body, how they perk up, how they get some color back. It just gives a pause to the craziness and allows you to kind of reset and say, all right, let's just solve this problem.
2: Yeah. You shouldn't take yourself so seriously because it's just going to make everything worse.
0: Well, and that's the that's the 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 chemical impact of finding humor is not to be undersold, right? I mean, this is the sort of dopamine, serotonin, super friends relationship in your body that when you laugh, it, it allows you to unlock parts of your chemical makeup that heal you, that can make you actually feel better. And also in doing so, not get so lost in the uncertainty that you're experiencing in the midst of the legal system and the unraveling of the emotional relationship. Like the chemicals help, but you have to, you have to make it a practice, right? Like you have to turn it into something where you're willing to practice finding the funny things. And that can, I imagine, as Seth has been talking about, as your show illustrates, living for a while in the gallows humor to, to recognize the, the funny stuff in the darkness. And I, I know I've told this a bit a while since I told this story, uh, but when my dad died, the doctor comes out to us, he was still alive, and he gave us some terrible news my mom looks at the doctor and says, are you telling me that my husband is dying? And the doctor turns around and says, I'm not saying he's not dying. And that became like that chicken shit, double negative became an (laughs) anthem of humor in the process of my dad's passing because this doctor was the worst. And we, have actually been able to buoy ourselves through that by laughing, and sometimes you just drop a good double negative sometimes, and it just makes you feel good that you you remember you know there was actually a lot of uh, a lot of joy in that life and and we were able to kind of remember how stupid the process is yeah and and so yeah, living in the gallows can be actually uh a uh, uh, buoyant
2: absolutely yeah, I mean that's hysterical is dad dying well he's not. Not dying.
0: He's not, not dying. He's not undying. Uh, <laughs> right. Like, like how many
2: stupid ways. We all kind of die every day <laughs> right. since we've all, been born. Right. He's on every the year.
0: spectrum. Let's just say that. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. So
1: I can't believe I've even thought of this. My great aunt passed away many, many years ago. I was in college. And it was over a Jewish holiday. So you can't bury someone in the Jewish religion on a Jewish holiday. So on the Tuesday afterwards, there was a line to get into the cemetery because all these people had died in New York City that were Jewish and they none of them could be buried timely. Right. So there's this long line, hearse after hearse after hearse. And so you're just waiting in these cars forever.
0: Oh my God.
1: In this you know, woman in her 20s who's also a college student or of college age walks by, and I'm in the car, and we kind of catch each other's eyes. And my mother catches me catching this young woman's eyes, and she goes, what are you going to do? Hit on her? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, maybe. <laughs> and then my, my mom goes, well, where would you kind of hook up? <laughs> like, we're at... That is... My, not yeah. where I expected your mother to go. Yeah, well, you didn't get to know her very well. This is not surprising. When I was in middle school, she handed out condoms for the homecoming. Like, you know. <laughs> wow. Okay.
2: In middle so, school. So, yeah. Nice. Yeah, Good yeah.
1: God. So literally, she was. well, like, where would you hook up? And then I look around and I say, Aunt Dottie's not using the hearse on the way back. <laughs> And that became a joke for years. Whenever a hearse would go by, Aunt know? Dottie's hearse. Oh yeah. my god! So, but that's the type of thing. Like, like we were sitting there, what felt like for hours. It might have been forty five minutes or an hour, like waiting to bury what was really my grandmother, even though it was my great aunt, my grandmother, and what was really my mom's mom, because my mom's mom died when she was just nineteen, and Aunt Dottie stepped in in that role. So there's all this kind of like grief going on. Mm -hmm. But that became a joke for years and years, just off of a little humor during a very dark time. And I see it all the time in divorce. I see it all the time of the stress relief and Pete, the chemical reactions going. And when you can get people laughing, especially at themselves, that's always the best because then they realize what they're really stressed about isn't that need it. You don't need to be that level of crazy or stressed about this one issue. Like this too will pass.
0: And you get to remember that you're not not going to hook up with that girl at that cemetery. <laughs>
1: that's right.
0: Exactly. Right? Do you see that's called a callback in the in the business in the biz. Uh, let's talk about uh, wow moments. Kayla, what have you uh, what's your biggest, uh, your biggest wow moment since you've been doing the show?
2: So I, through doing that work, I've become really passionate about just like learning more about psychology and mental health. So, uh, and figuring out how I can help in the community. And so last year I started volunteering with a local organization called Peace Over Violence. I went through an eight week, 80 hour training to become a volunteer crisis counselor. So I actually, um, once a week now I answer the phone for domestic violence and sexual assault hotline here in Los Angeles. And it's just been really eye opening for me. And I feel like I'm making a really big difference directly in people's lives. Um, And a lot of these people who call in, they'll tell me things that they can't tell anyone else, or they're really in trouble. And I'm just really happy to be able to like listen and offer support, refer them to resources. Yeah, it's been really great. And if people want to check it out, it's um, Peace Over Violence. They're one of the first ever crisis hotlines in America. They've been around for 50 years. And so it's pretty cool.
0: Wow. How have I never heard of them?
2: They run the domestic violence, sexual assault hotline in Los Angeles. So, but I know that they do initiatives all around the country now as well.
0: Yeah. Fascinating. I think the, the podcast is great. And as you start thinking about the things that you know, the way you help people stay positive in the work that in in their interpersonal work, I think is is really lovely. What has changed in the way you look for, uh, you know, healthy relationships?
2: I will say after going through the training, the volunteer training, I, dating was a lot harder.
0: Oh, that's really dark. Oh, my God. I just realized how dark that would be.
2: Yeah. Well, it's just like my standards are so high and I know all the red flags and I just don't put up with bullshit. You know what I mean?
1: Do you trust your instinct on that, though?
2: Yes. You have to learn to trust your instinct, especially as a woman. Uh, And I think that that's like second guessing yourself is not good. Like whatever your gut instinct is, it's better to follow that.
1: And that's that's a red flag to yourself, if you're start second guessing yourself, then there might be something wrong with this relationship. Like, is that a way to identify like, Hey, I keep second guessing myself in this relationship. Maybe this isn't the right relationship for me.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah. No one should make you like, yeah, I guess that's, that's a separate issue of if this person's making me question myself and who I am, then of course that's not the right person for you. But I mean, more so just basic stuff of like, spotting a narcissist or spotting someone who may have like early markers of an abuser or maybe just someone who hasn't done the work, you know, like I remember like, I mean, I have a boy, I'm in a lovely relationship now with someone who has been to therapy. Thank God. Um <laughs> But when I was—that's only- what
1: my wife always said. By the way, is, <laughs> wh- why wouldn't you want to date a divorced guy who actually did the work? Like, yes, the first relationship, like she went through the hell. Like, hopefully, he's done the work and realized yeah. it. Now, if they haven't done the work, you're out. He's yeah.
2: divorced, actually, so that's to your point: is yeah. that he done did it. Word. He knows what doesn't work, and what works for him, and here we are. And I would argue, like, dating someone who's divorced is actually a good thing because. They have experience and they're not afraid to commit.
0: That's right. Yeah, (laughs) right, right.
2: You know, but yeah, I would say with dating, as far as like having all this knowledge, I remember when I was still on the dating apps, I put in my bio, I was on one of these like J-Swipe, it's like a Jewish dating app. And I put like, just looking for a nice Jewish boy who's been to therapy to put some uh, dairy-free schmear on my everything bagel. <laughs> was That's
0: adorable. Bag That's line. adorable. <laughs> uh, did that work? I mean, is that where you met your...
2: No. Parents?
0: No, it, it didn't it, take. Okay.
2: Well, we didn't meet on an app, but I think that like doing the dating app thing, it's not all bad. You learn about what you like, what you don't like. And I have friends who have met partners through that so it's as good as good a way to meet any someone as anywhere else i think the only problem is that like if you don't have any mutual friends with that person it's not as easy to um vet them
1: yeah for sure right but if you guys split up there's no dividing friends
2: yeah dividing friends it's like how how do you you're always going to lose those friends
0: sides will be picked
2: sides will be picked like with my um Ex-fiancé, which by the way, like saying ex-fiancé sounds like I'm like a soap opera star, right?
1: (laughs) That's why we had you on the show. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Because like ex-husband is like, oh, ex-fiancé, ooh, what happened? You know, like. (laughs) Yeah,
1: right. There's drama. (laughs) Those ex-husbands, they're a dime a dozen. Ex-fiancé, which I just said this the other day to my wife because we just were recently married. And I told her I was going to introduce her as my ex-fiance, which is a true statement. <laughs>
2: <laughs> ex-fiance, current wife,
1: right? right. Acquitted, right? Well, acquitted. <laughs> well, Kayla, I will also share with you this. With my first wife, I would introduce her as my first wife, and she would look at me very annoyed and i said i'm your second husband what's the problem well it turns out there was a lot of problems with the way i was introducing her hence the divorce okay i take full responsibility
2: (laughs) oh my god
1: (laughs) so words matter pete
2: my god man i
0: did not know that you didn't know that no you you were on the divorce road and your your former spouse is a lovely human being how could you possibly treat them like that in introductions
1: She's amazing. We're still very close, yes. as you know, Pete. You know, I made a lot of mistakes, and then I went to therapy, and I figured it out. You know, there you go. So,
0: hallelujah. Uh, okay, well, look, uh, Kayla, thank you for hanging out with us. Give us the uh, give us give us the plug for the podcast officially.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. This was a lovely chat. I appreciate you having me on and anybody who wants to connect, uh, it's called Crying Behind Sunglasses. You can find it anywhere you listen to your favorite pods or go to cryingbehindpod.com. My name's Kayla Dahl. So you guys hopefully will put a link to my Instagram or any of that stuff in the comments. Yeah, it's been really great. And I just want people to know like no matter what it is that you're going through, like they're, It's never too late to make a change in your life for the better. So, um, you know, don't give up hope. Mic drop. There we go. That's our (laughs) mic drop moment. Thank you so much, Kayla. You're
0: fantastic. And uh, we are going to transition to listener questions. Seth, we have a listener question, and I'm very excited about it because I think you're the guy
1: (laughs) who's going to help You're already laughing.
0: This is not good. I have never... I've never considered this. I've never considered this, and I think it's really interesting. So, here we go. We've never done an episode on this. Brand new. Hot off the question press. Hi, guys. Forgive me if you've heard this one and talked about it. I'm still working through the back catalog of your fantastic podcast emphasis.
1: No, that's why Andy picked this question. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. Okay, keep going.
0: You guys are too funny. Anyhow, I'm Greek, but married to a Western Canadian family and changed my name to my soon-to-be ex-husband's. Now we are divorcing, and I'm wondering what my consideration should be around my children's last names. I have two, a son and a daughter, 9 and 11 years old. The dissolution of our marriage has been rocky, and I believe that my children would rather not be associated with the current family name. Is this something that you would recommend I explore? Have you ever heard of this sort of concern? Check my local jurisdiction. I know. But I think I can hear the eyes rolling as. Yeah, I can't do that. That's right. great, though. <laughs> uh, but I'm embarrassed to ask the question of my own attorney team before I find out if the whole idea is lunacy. Thank you.
1: Okay, first off, never be embarrassed to ask your attorney anything. They've heard it all. It is not lunacy. Okay. Now. In Florida, check your local jurisdiction, it's really hard to change a child's last name, okay? And I don't think at 9 and 11, a court is going to bring the kids in to say, yes, I want to change my name.
0: Because they don't have agency as adults in the eyes of the court.
1: Exactly. Okay. So people get hung up on this a lot, and I actually think that they put too much weight into this consideration First off, when your children turn 18, if they want to change their name, they'll have the power to do so. They can change it to anything they want. Ultimately, a family is about how you guys connect on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. When you're texting, when you're chatting, when you're on the phone, when you're going to their sporting events or extracurriculars or helping them with homework. And that's what it's about. And I have known people that, didn't change their last name because they wanted to keep it the same as their children's i have others that didn't change their name at first but ultimately changed their name later i've had people wait to change their name till their kids were 18 and then they changed it i had people that changed their name immediately and they couldn't wait to change their name because they never liked it they didn't like the spelling they didn't like how how to say it all over again but as far as the family relations I think there's a lot of weight that people put on themselves about this. Nobody cares what your last name is to them. It makes no difference. It's all about how you internalize it. And I think that's what you should be talking to your kids about. I would ask your lawyer and say, is there a way to do this? Cause it is important to us. I would say, I think it's more important to you than what's really happening in your relationship with your kids and your kids ultimately live their lives as them, not as their father. So I would just have that conversation with them. If they're coming to you like, Oh, I want to change my name. I don't know if a judge will let you, I'm not opposed to it, but let's just really think about what does it mean to have a name? What about this? What about that? How do you live your life? And when you turn 18, you're allowed to do it. Okay. But for now,
0: it's not something that happens. Like, it's not a natural part of the divorce process to ask the question, what do you want your kids' names to be?
1: That's correct. It's not, it's not natural. Now, it, well, it's not natural that a court will actually grant it. Okay. Sometimes when the kids are little and they don't know the name, but if you have a 9 and 11-year-old who know the name, now, the interesting part of this question is the kids don't want to be associated with the name. And the question is, is that a true statement? If so, why are you poisoning the well? And I'm not saying that you are to the, to the listener, but you just got to be careful about how you go about doing this. And ultimately it's not uncommon in today's society that some women will still change their name when they get married. Yeah, You know, my wife and I joked about changing our last names because, you know, she still has her ex-husband's name. Mm Mm-hmm. And so and so, would you change it to Seth's last name? And she's like, "No, I'm keeping my ex husband's name," which <laughs> I think is funny. But we joked about changing it to my former spouse's last name. But we would both change it. We're yeah. going back to her maiden name. And my whole point of this is, the name doesn't matter. It's the relationship that you have with who who's in your life.
0: I I think there there might be, and I I don't want to read too much into this, but I think that that she wrote in the question that she's Greek married into a western family and with a western name and i wonder if there is a a little bit of extra weight cultural weight like wanting to get back to um a a family name that is of greek go back to the motherland
1: roots right that could absolutely that's a great reading i was trying to think of a greek canadian joke that i couldn't come up with that's why i didn't mention that part of the question but that's a very good serious point where if you feel more connected to one side of the family in that heritage and you want to be seen more as a greek to the outward world and not have the name smith by way of example this is anonymous i don't know what these names are but yeah that makes sense to me
0: well i uh really appreciate the question it's something i'd never thought of and thank you so much anonymous (laughs) who is now clearly named sarah smith poutine and that is the name going forward. And we understand why it has become a question for you. Thanks for listening. We appreciate that. And thank you all for downloading and listening to this show. Uh, a fantastic uh, conversation with Kayla Dahl. Definitely check out that podcast crying behind sunglasses and let us know your questions. Uh, just head over to howtosplitatoaster.com and click the uh, ask a question and we'll ask a question to Seth just on your behalf. Thank you everybody for downloading and listening. We appreciate your time and attention on behalf of Seth Nelson. America's favorite divorce attorney. I'm Pete Wright. We'll see you next week, right back here on How to Split a Toaster, a divorce podcast about saving your relationships. How to Split a Toaster is part of the True Story FM podcast network, produced by Andy Nelson, music by T-Bless and the Professionals, and DB Studios. Seth Nelson is an attorney with NLG Divorce and Family Law with offices in Tampa, Florida.